Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to a special pod taken quickly edition of Corner Kick. We have no real like groundbreaking news to cover, but I am joined by a man who did not concede a penalty to Cadiz in the 89th minute. It is Caleb Rhodes. Correct. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Crisis Corner edition <laughs> of Corner Kick. Uh, Caleb and I have not had the greatest of weeks uh, supporting our, our respective clubs. I honestly think it's probably been a worse week for Caleb considering uh, the two not so I think it's been an objectively results. worse week. Yeah, I agree. Object- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't think that's a really like hot take right there. It's just a fact. But yeah, we're going to obviously... I think we, we've called this this emergency meeting of Corner Kick to discuss a few things that we wanted to discuss in more of a give a little bit more time to so that uh, when we next convene with Nathan on the regular show, we don't eat up all the time discussing these two things. And those are obviously the issues going on at Liverpool and the issues going on at FC Barcelona. So let's begin with Liverpool. It seemed like they were hitting a turning point on Tuesday when they went to Budapest and they beat RB Leipzig 2-0. They played a pretty good game. The midfield looked like it had finally figured out some sort of balance. The press looked like it was really healthy and on. Uh, Ozan Kabak had a great game in his second appearance as a Liverpool player. And then as it happens, the season just collapsed on them once again. They turn up for the Merseyside Derby at Everton, having not lost to their rivals at their home pitch in 20 years. And they go on to put one of the worst Derby performances of all time in the books, and they lose 2-0. It is their fourth consecutive (laughs) home defeat, the first time that has happened since 1923 for Liverpool. I think we have to start (laughs) by discussing the injuries because with Jordan Henderson going off in this game and Liverpool playing their 18th center back pairing of the season and Ozan Kabak and Nat Phillips, this is a truly unprecedented situation for a Premier League champions to be even considering dealing with right now, let alone dealing with it. First off, I think you should try to make the uh, Pushkas Arena your home stadium from now on. You've, you've had better performances there in the past week than you've had at um, Anfield in the past like two months. So that, that's point number one. Point number two, I think we can safely say the uh, Kabak-Phillips pairing is is not a winner. It's probably, it's it might not even be a top sixer. Uh, I, this this comes after the West Ham over Spurs result today. I don't know. I think, I think I'm putting my money on Liverpool for the relegation battle now. Uh, no, kidding. This team, obviously, the defense we know is a problem. Kabak has had like a a rocky start, I would say, but at least he's a warm body in there, which at this point with all the injuries is is kind of what you need. I think honestly more worrying for me though is the fact that like you just need players like Sala, like Mane and Firmino to just like be those, you know, top 10 Ballon d'Or vote getting players and just outscore opponents, right? Like that's the thing. Like you need to be able to put up three, two score lines every game Frankly, we're seeing like an offensive collapse as well, which is is equally worrying, especially because I don't think you can rely on your your defense to sort of magically improve imminently. Right. I think the issue for Liverpool in their push for top four, which is getting harder and harder by the day as we see Leicester cruising to a win right now against Aston Villa and obviously West Ham's massive win against Tottenham, is that 
these key players for Liverpool, Henderson, Fabinho, Diogo Jota, they don't look like they're going to be coming back anytime soon, at least for a few weeks. And when they do, who's to say it's not going to take them a few weeks to get up to speed again? So I think the worrying thing for Liverpool is that they need to find a way to get the balance back in their team, but do it <laughs> also do it in a way where they know they can't rotate at all. They've sent out Takumi Minamino on loan. Divock Origi has been uh, a massive disappointment this season uh, in his cameos. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has looked like a player coming back from a serious injury. In my opinion, I would change the formation to something like a 4-2-3-1 to allow Curtis Jones a little bit more freedom of movement. But even then, I don't even think you can you can really criticize the formation, the 4-3-3, all that much, just because Liverpool don't really have the platform to build on anything. They don't have a Fabinho in midfield. Obviously, they won't have Henderson in midfield going forward. You can make the case that he should have been starting in midfield for these games to give them a little bit more of a an impetus to go forward. The injuries, I think people are are starting to get annoyed with hearing about them. And that is purely because they just keep happening. Like that is the talking point. Like every game, it seems like a Liverpool player is going down. So it's starting to come off as as an quote unquote excuse. The fact is like, if you want to look at like why a team collapses so suddenly, and you can look at this in like every single sport, it's either because there's like massive injuries to a team or they're missing key players. Liverpool just happened to be going through both right now. And I think it's tough for me to see how they finish in the top four playing as they are with, with the soccer being so awful on the eye, as well as not being able to fill the vacancy of these of these missing key players. I honestly think you have to go not 4-2-3-1, like 4-4-2. Get just like four center midfielders in there to be a little sturdier and just put Salah and Mane up front and just tell them like, we just need one of you, one and a half of you to score every game and we'll get a goal from midfield also and we'll go for like 2-1 wins. Like that's our play from this point out because yes, I think causally we can say the injuries are like, you know, the major destabilizing factor here. But, you know, we're we're in like crunch-ish time of the season or we're in the, the games that will determine whether Liverpool are going to be fighting for top four or for top six. And there isn't really like time to lay blame right now. You just need to perform. Klopp does need to just rejig the system and like face reality. Yeah, and I think he he is trying to do that. I just think there's an element of I don't I hate to like put the blame on this or like even even make people consider that I'm putting the blame on this. In like a a title winning season or a title defending season, you need a little bit of luck. Like just a little bit of luck. Like you saw last season, you know, Liverpool were manifesting these last minute moments into, you know, title winning moments, like the game against Aston Villa in the fall of 2019, where they won it at the death. Even you could say all the way back in 2018 with the crazy Divock Origi goal in the 96th minute uh, at Anfield, the one where like Jordan Pickford, like puts it off you know his own bar and then Divock Origi scrambles to head it in like those are moments that are are you know made by Liverpool pushing the impetus but they're also created by luck and you saw a stat come out this week where you know Liverpool have had 11 VAR incidents go against them this season which is more than any club over the past you know year and a half or so and Liverpool shouldn't mm-hmm. be in a position where they're looking at you know 
where they're where they're where they're saying like if referee decisions were going our way like we would have far more points because that's frankly unacceptable to me but you have to say that like in a title winning season or in a title defending season you need to have luck go your way and Liverpool just have had zero luck and it's led them to you know build their house on on unstable ground like it's hard to build a foundation to improve when the walls keep caving in like the Henderson injury yesterday I think for me that defeat yesterday normally I'm pretty good about you know Liverpool lose the game or they get a bad result and I'm sad for like 10 minutes and then I can go about my day I can think about other things because the fact of the matter is like I'm not Liverpool football club like there's nothing about me as a person that like I can do to change the things that are going on at the club. And I think that's what people don't understand mm-hmm. when they like internalize soccer in a way. It, like, they think like their team's poor mm. results reflect badly on them. I don't really think that way. Mm. Um, it is a sport. It is a game. They are thousands of miles away from me and I can't really do much to affect that. However, I did find myself yesterday like at dinner thinking like, oh, what if we just changed the formation? What if we just like did this? So I think there was something about like the defeat to Everton, which is like a milestone defeat. You know, it's the first time Everton have won at Anfield in 20 years. That feels like, you know, that this has to be the defining moment for this team. Otherwise, we're just going to keep seeing them go backwards. This, I think, was the first time that the pundits got to pull out the like, how historically bad is this run that Liverpool are on, right? Like they got to pull out the fact that this was, you know, Everton's first win in a decade against Liverpool. They got to pull out the fact that this is the first time that Liverpool have lost, what was it, four home matches in a row in the league since, like, the 1920s, right? Like, and those are the types of stats, you know, we heard during, like, Moyes Manchester United and things like that. Now you understand the sort of, like, historically cataclysmic state that Liverpool are in in the last two months in the Premier League. But once again, I don't think that, I think that is a lot due to injuries, but I think it does show that like they are in quite a bad state and I don't think they can keep trotting out the same formation with the 19th or the 20th or the 21st centre-back pairing and expect results to, you know, improve. Clearly, clearly it's affecting the whole team um, from the defence to the midfield to the forwards. So something, something's gotta, something's gotta change. Otherwise we're going to keep getting you know, this is the worst they've done since like 1810, right? Like, <laughs> which they weren't even around then, but like since somehow keeping, they're doing that. Since you were keeping tabs by Almanac. Yeah, exactly. Since since their players went off to, to America to fight in the War of 1812, there was a break in the season. Uh, like, we don't want to get there. We're not trying to get there. Yeah, I think, do you think there could be a, a mental fatigue aspect as well? Because Obviously, we know that like this same Liverpool team has been competing on all fronts, you know, mentality monsters, whatever you want to call it, for three seasons. We've known the trials and tribulations that have taken them all the way to the Premier League title, you know, losing in a lot of pivotal moments, coming up one point short against Manchester City, and then having won the title last season and to, you know, see Virgil van Dijk go down, see Joe Gomez go down, see players like Alisson and Fabinho go down. Do you think that has taken a toll on this team? Because this Liverpool, in theory, without, you know, obviously Loris Karius and Dan Lovren have left the club. But besides those two players, they could still field the same team that they put out in that Champions League final against Real Madrid. So there hasn't been much, you know, changing of personnel since then. I think the the question is for players like Sala, for instance, 
who like there's rumors about him wanting to leave in the summer potentially like when he sees the club going down like this a little bit does he have or does he care enough to like play hard and be the guy that like pulls the team up or is he like okay like this team will finish sixth if anything that'll just justify my leaving more in the eyes of the fans this summer and I'll be out of here anyway I I don't know if that's true I actually presume Sala cares slightly more for the club than than how I've just described him but I do think there is like a question for a lot of these players about like do they really want to take on that extra effort to like be the guy is that worth it for them when they've already won everything um and it sounds in a lot of ways like fsg as we've talked about before is less interested in the project perhaps i don't know um but it, it is slightly unclear to me especially given that all of their leaders are injured there is no henderson right now there is no van dyke right now like who is going to be that person it's certainly not trent right like that's become abundantly clear we can't give that man the armband right now but i don't know if it's I don't know if it's any of the forwards either. And I don't think it's like anyone in the midfield anyway. Even Wijnaldum, right, is leaving as well. So I think there is like a vacuum of leadership. And it's unclear to me who really wants to to take on that burden. Yeah, the irony of the Wijnaldum thing is that he's leaving partly because he feels like he's been um, overlooked in a leadership capacity at the club. He was not given the armband earlier this season. and Instead, that was given to someone else to captain the side in the games, you know, Van Dyke and Henderson are missing. I even forget who it was, but I do remember <laughs> that uh, the reason why Wijnaldum is leaving is because he feels like he has been overlooked in that way. So I certainly think, to me, that Everton performance felt like a nail in the coffin for Roberto Firmino. I thought that was truly one of his worst performances in the Liverpool shirt. It certainly looks like fatigue has set in for a lot of these players. We will see what they look like when Fabinho, when Diogo Jota, return to the side when Jordan Henderson returns to the side. But I think that might be too little too late for this Liverpool team who are not going to be competing in the coming weeks with a lot of senior players. But let us turn our attention over to another club with a historically bad week. (laughs) However, it seems like it is a bit of a repetitive week for FC Barcelona. They come into a massive European tie with massive expectations. We were talking on the podcast last week about how maybe... They had the edge in the psychological duel. That certainly proved to be wrong, as did many things on that podcast proved to be wrong. It wasn't the great showing for us uh, in our Champions League (laughs) predictions. It was FC Barcelona 1, PSG 4. Caleb, how many times are we going to retread this conversation about Barcelona and big game moments? Yeah, I mean, like the the stats don't lie. We lost 4-1 at home. We've now conceded 12 goals in our last two uh, Champions League knockout games. This was the first time in 151 home matches in European competition that we've lost twice consecutively following the uh, 3-0 loss to Juventus at the end of the group stage, which is why we had to play PSG, despite the fact that, interestingly, Barcelona had 15 points, which was more than PSG's 12 points at the end of the group stage. Although we finished second in our group, they finished first. Another quick stat on how historically bad this performance was, that we've played 278 home matches um, in European competitions and have lost by three or more goals only six times. 
Um, those were in our last two home games. Once again, the same ones I just talked about this game and the Juventus game. I, I'm I'm interested whether you think how how big the difference between three one and four one is in terms of the indictment of the club, because I think that there were certain errors that Komen made that exacerbated this problem. Right, for instance, PK hasn't played in several months, and to start him in this game on the wing that Mbappe is going to be on seemed like a massive risk. Same thing with Serginho Dest, who just came back from injury. Once again, I don't think Mengeza is it. I've said that many times. But I think he just has more match readiness under him right now than Dest. And Dest was just torn apart. So I think there's that. Also, there was the issue that this is a two-leg you know, tie. And after we were down 3-1, I think it probably would have been sensible to try to tamp down the hatches, you know, like see out the game and regroup for potentially you know, try to get like a 1-0 or 2-0 win away. And it'll be like, we'll lose the tie, but it won't be like horrible. Instead, you have Coman pulling off defenders for attackers as if there's only five minutes left in the tie and we give up, you know, a massive fourth goal that definitively ends this, right? Definitively. And also just makes the chasm that has opened up between Barcelona and other top teams, top teams that are missing arguably their best player in Neymar and arguably their third best player in Di Maria, just so much more apparent. So I think we deserve to lose. I still think this was our best chance of winning heading in, like of this season, but we still deserve to lose. But I do think Komen has a lot of responsibility for like the degree and scale to which we lost. I think there's a reason why we're talking about both Liverpool and Barcelona on the same podcast. And that's because a lot of they're, they're having two very different seasons and it's two very different situations, but a lot of their issues you could say are like somewhat the same. You know, the fact that without their home stadium crowd, they're having a lot of issues playing at home right now in big games. You know, the fact that both teams are lacking significant strength and depth right now i think that was exacerbated by the pk point that you raised the fact that barcelona don't really have or at least ronald kuman doesn't really feel like he has the strength and depth to rely on players who aren't like senior members of the team or players that he's deemed you know to be the future like pedri players that he trusts i also think you look at this game and it is like a microcosm of the last 3 years of FC Barcelona in big games. It's they yeah. go into a game, you, you could say that they probably have, they probably have like the, the more sturdier team going into the tie. You could certainly say that by looking at PSG's injury list. Uh, however, the mentality of FC Barcelona in these big games is just to wilt at the first sign of adversity. You know, you saw that in Rome, you saw that in Anfield, you saw that against Bayern you saw that against Juventus and now you're seeing it against PSG I think the complete antithesis of that was what Marco Verratti and Kylian Mbappe did who they both took this moment to be like you know what we're we're too heavily talked about players but perhaps like the more unheralded members unheralded stars of this PSG team and we're gonna prove to the rest of Europe that like no wait we're actually like two of the best players playing in Europe right now. I don't think anyone was questioning that about Mbappe, but he certainly needed that moment on the club stage for him to really, you know, announce himself to the rest of the Champions League. I think he's already, 
you know, made a statement by winning the World Cup. This was like a marquee moment for him. If we're going to look back in 20 years at the career of Mbappe, this is where we're going to say, you know, this was a defining performance for him. And he did it without Di Maria and Neymar, like his world-class supporting cast. And meanwhile, look at Barcelona. They have really lived and died by the performances of Leo Messi this season. I don't think that's unfair to say. I think he is he has carried the team and unlike recent years where like it's it's he he could rely on the players around him. I think you're seeing that he doesn't really trust this supporting cast enough in a way that's like motivating him to think that they can get back into these games. Yeah, I think there are several points you could take out from like the the Barcelona performance. One is that Busquets has just become like obsolete on the European stage. I he he's still good enough to to run a game in La Liga because we just have so much more possession and he can pick out his passes, but the fact that Barcelona don't dominate every team like we used to with Xavi and Iniesta where you know, historically it didn't matter who we were playing. We would have 65% possession. This game it was like 53% or something. And his lack of pace in the midfield just means he got exposed with how quickly PSG moved through the gears and moved the ball to the front line. And so I think his style of play, especially as he ages, just doesn't really match up well against the teams that Barcelona need to beat to be successful in European competition. So I think that that's major issue number one. In fact, I don't think Komen is going to make this change because he's so inflexible, but I would start Pjanic in the second leg just to see what happens, like just to like run the experiment a little bit. Two, I mean, three quarters of this defense is the defense that started against Bayern. So like, yes, Dest was bad, but I think there there is something wrong with this team generally. I think PK probably should retire soon. I, I'm really curious to see how Araujo would have done because he's really, I think, grown into a defensive leader this year. And then three, our front line, as you said, just is not clinic. And we saw this this morning against Cadiz. Our front line is just not clinical enough on its own. Griezmann has never been the most clinical player. He's always been a second striker. He's never really had to play a scoring burden. Dembele can dribble, but he's not especially good at passing and his shooting. He had like five shots against PSG, but I don't think the team ever really felt that threatened. And you compare it to past even more finesse Barcelona front threes. Like I'm thinking like the Henri Eto Messi trident from like 2009. The wingers were two converted strikers who are just like absolute killers, right? Then you move to the next front three. David Villa, another converted striker with Pedro who like knew how to score, right? Then you move to the MSN and you have someone like Suarez. And I think the problem is we have no plan B who's a consistent scorer in this team. Maybe that would have been on Sufati had he not been injured. Maybe that will be on Sufati going forward. But I think getting rid of Suarez has just exposed the fact that Griezmann and Dembele are not replacements for him in terms of production because they just can't fill that role that we need. And we needed a point man, right? And we saw this PSG showed this, how this was necessary. Icardi wasn't that effective, but he was a point man. Moise Keane was playing off the wing, but he was just so much more powerful than anything Barcelona showed at the front line, right? Like he manhandled Alba all game. He manhandled Pedri all game. 
And I think we've seen we need some type of big man in the middle. We don't have the money to buy one. But you sure about that? Because Laporta, Laporta is promising Erling Holland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he used to be elected. Yeah, I'm probably. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's easy to say things when you don't have any authority and whatever. Uh, easy to say that before you, you know, are in charge of a billion dollars of debt. I think the interesting point here, because obviously there's been a lot of talk about, you know, is Messi going to go to PSG this summer? Why do PSG need Messi? That's my point. Why would you spend so much money on Messi if if this is what you're able to do, like in transitionary games, like especially as, we, as we're seeing, you know, European football become more and more of a shootout, more and more games are played in transition in between the lines. Like Messi is not the player that I would bring in for, except like obviously for, for the financial and marketing aspect of things, like just seeing Messi in a PSG shirt would be huge for that brand, for the Jordan brand, for Nike. I just don't know why if you're Maurizio Pochettino, except for like the the Argentinian compatriot fact, you would, you know, jeopardize the, and it's crazy to say this. It's crazy that like these words are even coming out of my mouth. I don't understand why you would shift the development of what you're trying to do at PSG, create a way more organized setup. Because I think I, that's what I was impressed by. You know, the fact that Pochettino really in a short amount of time organized this PSG team into a really, you know, defined system, really defined 4-2-3-1. They look extremely organized defensively, which I think was, you know, a concern in his first go around at Spurs, you know, that first few years where they were really lacking defensively. I think now he has the pieces to really execute his vision. You know, Messi would be would be kind of an unnecessary component to a team that looks to be, you know, really good at killing people in transition. No, no, this is what I'm saying. Like, I, like the more I watch this PSG team, and, and then I look even a little bit at Bayern. Like, if Bayern don't get someone like Holland this summer and you assume Lewandowski starts to decline a little bit, PSG and Man City seem like the only teams out there. If anything, I think Messi would disrupt the 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 flow of this team. It would, it would change the center of gravity in a way that wouldn't help necessarily. So I don't know. This, this is just my like random observation here. I'm like, I don't know why they need this man. Um, I don't know why Manchester City need this man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it, it was just something that popped into my head given all the, the press surrounding it. No, I think it is a good point because it's a crazy world to say that like these teams come into the camp new and they absolutely manhandle Barcelona. And like if these are the teams that are like being linked with Messi, you could say that they're better. It's it's a crazy thing to say, but like Barcelona seems so out of sorts that like Messi doesn't even seem like a commodity. Like that is how, you know, bad these displays have been. That's how like disheartening these displays have been. I think it's safe to say that like Messi wasn't this was not a, a brilliant messy performance by any means. Like at a certain point, it looked like all of the forwards' heads had dropped. Certainly Dembélé. There was a period in like the first half when it was, or the 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 second half when it was two one, and Dembélé had you know a one on one chance. He skied it over the bar, and then his head just went immediately down, and you could see like he was mentally gone, like he was downtrodden. It didn't look like he was he was looking to get himself back into into the game. And I think that is my big concern with Barcelona is that even if they had all of these pieces back, I certainly think they would be challenging Atletico Madrid a little bit more than they are right now. However, I don't think, I still think there would be a trophy drought. I still wouldn't be convinced that they could compete in these big games because the mentality of this, this team is just so fragile. I think they're so scarred 
from Rome, from Anfield, from Bayern, that I think the only way to proceed now is just to get these players like Busquets, like Jordi Alba, who's had a nightmare 2021 so far, like Gerard Piquet, to ask them to move on. Because it just seems to me that like that we've reached the point of no return. We're like, how many more of these era-defining defeats can you have before you just say it's too much? Oh, no, yeah, I, I agree. I think there needs to be a dramatic changing of the guard this summer or maybe even for the rest of this season, especially if we go out of the cup, which is likely against Sevilla, especially if we go out of the Champions League, which is almost a given. And especially if, you know, Atleti stop dropping points and we kind of give up on this sort of tantalizing potential La Liga run, which isn't real. Like, it's not actually there. Like, we need to... And especially no, if the gap... was a great chance to gain some ground. Yeah, but, but we didn't, right? Um, with the same lineup that, that started against PSG. A- and if the gap between fourth and fifth grows in La Liga and it's kind of, like, impossible for us, like, not to be in the top four, why wouldn't you only play the youth pretty much? Why not give like even Firpo some runouts if if only to like build up, you know, $4 million more value before we sell him this summer? Why not try a Puig and Pedri midfield? Why not give Trincao more time? Why not give Conrad De La Fuente some minutes, right? Like we've tried everything. Why not him? I, I think it, it's come to the point where it, we might as well just start the rebuild now, right? Even if it means, you know, not playing players that are on paper better, but are not going to be important to the project going forward. I think a big roadblock to this is obviously the presidential elections, which have yet to happen. And also Kuman himself. Like, you know, Kuman himself has this season, we've seen him be extremely stubborn a little bit volatile when it has come to players like Puig, stuck in a little lot, stuck in his ways when it comes to his substitutions and his game management. It's been pretty baffling. And then, you know, the complete opposite of that is a manager that Barcelona could have gotten in the summer who is on the opposing touchline in Maurizio Pochettino, who is a galvanizing personality. He's coached players like Deli Ali and Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen into being some of the best players in the world, imbuing them with confidence. He's someone who I think his game management is probably one of the best in the world. If you look at like the way he sets up his teams, um, the way that he like knows his side really well. And I think there's a case of like Barcelona needs to go out and find their version of a manager who is, you know, that Pochettino type, that Klopp type. I know that's a really hard ask. That's that's something that's like incredibly difficult to go and find, but they need a personality in this head coaching job who is going to galvanize the team and who also has, you know, that familiarity that fits along with what Barcelona want to do going forward with that youth that you mentioned, like trying to integrate that a little bit. If you are going to integrate youth, if you are going to start using these players more, you need to have a coach that matches that ambition. And to me, that's not Ronald Koeman. I think that is fair points and, and probably a good place for, for us to end today. This has been our crisis podcast. Two-thirds of, of quarter kick, probably three-thirds, has had kind of disastrous seasons so far in various ways. I think if we, I think if we waited like two hours, we might have had a third member of, of, of Crisis Corner just considering that Arsenal are playing myth to be today. <laughs> 
But unfortunately, we're recording this at 10 a.m. It's before, yeah, it's before that disaster has unfolded before our eyes. I'll leave us with this question. Caleb, do Liverpool make the top four? Yes, yes, they do. I'm not ready to like throw the towel in yet because they still have one of the best front threes in the world. And I'm not ready to discount that. Do you think Barcelona win a trophy this season? No. What trophy? Show me a trophy. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what a trophy looks like. It's been so long. (laughs) Dude, 2018 feels honestly like a millennia ago at this point. Yawns. Yawns, dude. Yawns. Yawns. I was a we could be outside. That's when I saw the the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, you know, wear your masks. Keep your center backs fit. This has been this has been Crisis Corner. I've been Nick Vidid. Caleb Reds. And we will see you all later this week. 